0: Today is Brian O'Reilly, Chief Revenue Officer at Smartling. And prior to taking up his current role, Brian worked in various sales and business advisory roles, including stints at EY and Accenture. He's currently a member of the Revenue Collective and a mentor at First Round Capital. He has an MBA from the London Business School and a first class degree in digital media engineering from Dublin City University. Brian, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Brian, it's an impressive CV. But I have to ask you, first of all, what is it that Smartling do?
1: Uh, It's a good question. Uh, So we operate in a pretty niche space. We operate in the translation space. So if you think of uh, Lyft, British Airways, Tesla, Volvo, if you go to any of their websites or use any of their apps in a language that's not English, that experience, that digital experience is powered by us both the software and the services side, the services being the professional translation. So I'm curious
0: that if I go on to a social media platform and somebody in a different language makes a comment and underneath it, it says, see translation. Is that what you do or is it more encompassing than that?
1: But that's a, that's uh, adjacent to what we do. So um, if you go to tesla.com and you toggle to a language that's not English, that displays a different experience, right, in French or Spanish or whatever the other language is. So the translations are professionally done. So we do that. We organize the workflows, the routing of the English content to the translators and then pushing it back. But there's quite a bit of plumbing uh, in the background in terms of how those translations get to the linguists, get back to the linguists, how translation memory is managed on behalf of the customer. So once you translate something once, it's stored where you can use it again. Um, so it's it's enterprise grade translation software and services. What you're describing on social media is pure machine translation, right? Um, where you can use Google Translate, or there's lots of different MT or machine translation engines out there. And Smartling uses some of those as well. But the bulk of work that we do uh, companies want professional translation, you know, like Tesla, for example, they don't want the front page of their website in Spanish to be translated by a machine.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. And I'm curious, what is it about Smartling as firstly an organization and then secondly, in terms of the challenges that working in this business presents? What was it that attracted you
1: to it? So I was actually a Smartling customer when I worked at AdRoll. Um, so I was very familiar with the product. Um, I really bought into the mission. so the, the mission of the company is to help uh, businesses bring their product and services to international audiences. So you know it's a pretty it's a pretty cool mission. Um, probably slightly more compelling than selling ads at Adroll. Uh, no offense to the adroll viewers. Um, and And yeah, you know you're solving a very real, tangible problem. That can have a very very big impact for the the businesses you're solving those those problems for, um, and yeah, I, I got to know the smartling team while working at Adroll. You know, really appreciated uh, the culture, uh, the existing culture there, um, and yeah, when the opportunity came up to 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 join, I, I jumped at it. Mm. Uh,
0: what have been some of the, the key challenges then you've experienced? Because looking at your background, it seems to be heavy on consulting and business process. And I'm curious to know how that then maps into a young organization like Smartling and some of the challenges they have in growing their
1: sales organization. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. You know, I think my the, the less interesting or the less exciting half of my career when I was a, a management consultant. Um, there, there certainly is relevance there, and there certainly is good um, training that I got there that is applicable to um, uh, to smartling and to adrol. But you know, there, there certainly are major differences, major differences from a cultural perspective, major differences from a um, you know the speed at which we make changes, the speed at which we make decisions, the the lack of red tape, um, and you know I think when I joined Adroll in, back in 2012, I really opened my eyes to um, to this other world of businesses that you know make decisions uh, on a Monday and execute them on a Tuesday, you know. Whereas when I worked as a management consultant, I was typically working for a very big businesses where decision-making just because the, the organizations are so large was was much slower. Mm. Um, and, yeah, in terms of some of the challenges we faced, you know, the, the SmartLink sales team is of quite a standard SaaS B2B sales structure. We have a sales development team, account executive team, and a pre-sales technical team on the, on the sales side. And on the customer side, we have customer success, account management, and yes. sorry, and, um, and some technical folks that sit on the, the customer side. So, you know, a lot of the, the challenges we had, um, there were some process challenges that we, we were able to smooth, smooth out. Um, we re-architected some of the reporting and some of the dashboards that we, we were looking at. Um, we beefed up our approach to learning and development and training Um, And the fourth pillar was around um, some of the tools that we used as well. Uh, Mm. Just we re-architected some of the the tooling.
0: Mm. That's your consulting coming out, by the way, as soon as you said fourth pillar and (laughs) 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 re-architect. I can can now see the brain going, okay, do that. But that said, there's got to be, to me, growing a sales organization It's like trying to herd cats uphill in that it's hard to find good talent. Then you have to grow them. Uh, They have to learn. and They move through different roles and they have their own expectations from a promotional perspective. And then you have the challenges of the market because the market keeps changing. And at the same time, the organization is evolving because you're bringing in new layers of individuals as the organization gets bigger.
1: How do you manage all that complexity? That must be a complete nightmare. Yeah, look, I think that the key to managing the complexity is, is actually linked to one of Smartling's values, which is dream big, start small. What that means is, you know, you, you obviously have a big vision and a kind of a big picture about where you're going. Mm-hmm. But the only way to get there is actually to break it down into small, manageable initiatives or projects. So everything we do at Smartling is kind of broken down to the most logical, manageable level. Where we think about things in, you know, two, three, four week sprints, but mm. they're all feeding up into something that uh, we're very much clear on that we're working towards, um, and that that goes for the kind of different categories I mentioned. We we do think about initiatives in those categories. Uh, hiring is the the fifth one that I didn't mention, um, and within those we've different. Sprints that we run on a kind of a two, 4 week cadence, but never longer than that because any longer than that it starts to, um, you know, it starts to break that value of dream big, start small. You're not really starting small. Mm.
0: I like that dream big, start small. Talk to me then about the hiring challenge first of all. Uh, that's something that everybody's in the in the SaaS world seems to be uh, faced with, and I think there's with People working from home now adds another dimension to that in terms of on one side, it's positive that it opens up more of the market to you. They don't have to be all based uh, in in the same location, but it has to then have other management channels or sorry, challenges as well. So talk to me a little bit about some of the innovations or things you've learned about hiring people, just making sure that you get the right people on board um, and minimizing those odd ones who every now and again do sneak through.
1: Yeah, um, so we took an approach to hiring at Adroll that I actually brought into Smartling, which was specifically for sales hiring. We hire um, according to five Cs. And these are five different attributes that we we look for. The first C is around culture fit. The second C is around communication. The third C is champion, which means evidence of prior success. The fourth C is coachability. And the fifth C is career path, right? To make sure that, you know, someone is really committed to uh, a sales career. Um, and, and those diff- categories are weighted slightly differently, right? Culture and um, uh, evidence of prior success are particularly important to us. So what we do is within those act categories, through the interview process at Smartling, folks will focus on um, different categories. Some folks will focus on multiple categories and multiple at- attributes, but we'll come together as a hiring team afterwards and then talk through those buckets and score each candidate according to those buckets. And what we have seen is uh, in the data at AdRoll and now in the data at Smartling is there is this correlation between the folks that score very highly in certain categories and then go on to be successful. And we just learn from that, you know, we just take a data-driven approach to mm. that. Mm. We also have a set of about 15, 20 questions per attribute that the interviewer can select from. Um, you know, you obviously want to make it feel natural and not scripted. So, you know, we give folks the, either the freedom to look through the questions and be inspired by some of the questions, or they can ask some specific questions from uh, from the list. So, so these are for your colleagues who are interviewing
0: people, you're not showing these questions to the candidates? Correct. Got it, yeah. I just thought for a moment you were saying, here, have a look at these questions, which one would you like to answer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be a very unique take, I think you'd have a... <laughs> Uh, that's an interesting yeah, well, one. Now, I think you said a moment ago that of the five Cs, that the culture one, you said this is particularly important to us. Why yeah. that one? Why does that stand out over the others?
1: Um, that one tends to be a, like slightly binary in that if someone is a bad, poor culture fit, it doesn't really matter how they score in the other categories. It, they're, we're, we're probably not going to uh, make the higher. Mm. Um, and it's also one of the tougher things to interview for. Um, you know, the the champion, the evidence of prior success, particularly in sales, tends to be quite, um, you know, number orientated. What was your quota? How did you perform? How did your peers do? Um, and it, it's it's very factual. Whereas you know your cultural assessment needs to be more, you know, what did you do in this situation? What did you do in that situation? Talk me through, you know, this period of your career. Talk me through why you made that decision to join that company. Um, mm. And it's only over the course of um, multiple conversations with multiple people that you truly get a sense of, of culture fit. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'll
0: pause there. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask you, Brian, because culture can mean many different things. We have one sense of it in terms of you might have a from a particular geography, there's a culture associated with that. From a business point of view, talk to me about what for you guys particularly, what a good culture of fit looks like and then maybe the corollary of that where you've seen people and you go, No, they'll never do well in here. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It's just that it would just never work out. Give us some sense of
1: what they look like. Yeah, so uh, I think it comes down to your value structure, your value hierarchy. So we have a set of values at at Smartling that that anchor our decision making. Um, And what we test for is we test for questions that center around how you would potentially make a decision that might be contrary to that value. you know, so we, we, we have a value that's take care of our people, right? And, and that, that's a kind of a broad value. But we talk a lot about it at Smartling. And what it means is you, we take care of our, our, our own people through supporting them, that they have their tools and training to do their job uh, effectively. Um, and we also take care of our, our, our customers. You know, when we say people that encapsulates both Smartling employees and also our customers. Um, and we might ask questions around that value. You know, we won't specifically mention the value, but we'll, we'll ask questions that test for how you think about that um, in the challenger sale, which I'm sure you're aware of, um, you know, someone who might be a lone wolf, that persona um, you know, that value of taking care of our people and thinking about, uh, you know, our teammates uh, might not resonate with them. You know, for them, it might be all about their number, their goal and I'm gonna, you know, bulldoze everybody in between me and and achieving that goal. That would okay. be contrary Got to it. that value. Yeah.
0: Actually, I wanna just stay on this point for a moment because I think this is really interesting because you mentioned about the lone wolf. And I can imagine an organization where you bring people together and you, you create a culture through the environment, through practices, through how we speak to one another. Then what happens? Something comes along like a pandemic, and now everybody's working from home. And I'm just wondering if you're finding people actually need to develop, not lose sight of the community spirit, but develop also more of that independent lone wolf. Because if they don't, then they just may feel like a fish out of water because they they need that social contact. I'm curious
1: to know what you've seen in the organization like that. Sure. So I think um, I think certainly autonomy is important, um, and and accountability is important when you're working remotely. Um, and, you know, the big shift for people was around, you know, every day I had a rhythm. I got up at a certain time, I came into the office and I started working. That rhythm dramatically uh, changed when I they, people had to work from home. And people sometimes don't associate home with work, you know, so there There was an element of this you know significant shift in rhythm that needed to to happen. Now you know whether you're you, whether you're a lone wolf or not, I would kind of put to one side. Um, I think you needed to really inf- re- reflect on you know your own set of responsibilities, um your your own objectives and then figure out, okay, in this new environment, in this new rhythm, how do I achieve those things? Um, I I would link that a little bit more tightly to things like accountability Mm. um, and things like ability to operate with a level of autonomy, which means that, you know, you're not in an office where your manager is sitting beside you, you know, you're at home, you're managing your own schedule, you're managing your own um, uh, environment. Um, So I probably, uncouple those two things. And I think mm-hmm. you can be still be you know the challenger profile and the challenger sale um, and be successful at home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is there's a difference between the lone wolf trait, which is an instinct, versus the ability to work auto- autonomously, right? Or be able to yep. work on our own for periods of time or to find some other way of getting that need for social contact met
1: yeah yeah and you know i think i think you know do you inherently care about your teammates yeah you know lone wolf will uh, you know when when you drill into it uh, they will be less caring or less aware of the team Mm. than some of the other profiles that that are mentioned in in the challenges Mm. that's
0: interesting brian then I'd like to explore with you a little bit around you mentioned accountability a moment ago and accountability is, is is always a difficult thing to achieve in groups and in teams although I think team environments can kind of create a, a an accountability context for groups however now that now that you've got people dispersed and, and working from home how how does that accountability how has it changed i guess and how have you adapted to that change of making sure everybody's accountable to themselves to each other and then to the corporate goals
1: yeah so like i think there's, there's two two things that are key here the first is around expectation setting so you know whether you're a manager or an individual contributor are you clear on what you need to do are you clear on what success looks like and that's the first thing you know i think when we shifted to this remote working environment um, i think re- baselining or resetting expectations on what each individual um, needed to do to be successful was one of the first things we did at Smartling. Um, Secondly, I think we need to be very clear on, you know, what are our processes? You know, how, how do we do certain things? And are we supported both from a tooling and a training perspective to execute on those processes? Um, and that was the second piece, because there are some processes that might happen in the office that, that work. Because if, you know, I hit a, a snag, I will just ask the person beside me. Uh, that doesn't necessarily work in a ro- remote environment. So being a little bit clearer on what the actual processes are and how we're enabled to execute on those processes mm. was the second thing we, we did at Smartling. The third mm. thing was, was really around communication. You know, we, we kind of took a step back and thought about, well, how do we speak to our team on a regular basis? How do we, um, commu- what is the frequency that we communicate to the group on? And what is the communi- frequency that we communicate uh, to each other as individuals? Hmm. And, and
0: how has that uh, frequency of communication changed? And is there a different tone to it?
1: I think it's more deliberate. So we, you know, we have certain group meetings now that happen at the same time uh, on a very regular cadence and there's certain topics that get discussed in those meetings and everybody is aware beforehand of what, what gets discussed. Um, so, you know, those, those meeting times and that the content of those meetings is uh, considered tradition now, you know, they, they happen very, very consistently. Um, you know, I can't recall when some of those meetings didn't happen, maybe, you know, over the Christmas period, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, I think there's a heightened level of awareness around um, just checking in with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't heard from someone in a while, you just pinging them saying, hey, um, how are things? How are you getting on? Do you want to grab a virtual coffee? Um, and and doing things like that. And just kind of keeping that top of mind, both for the management team and for the individual contributors.
0: Mm. And as an extension of that then, because what I'm hearing is there's there's a solid base of clear communication between you and, and, and the rest of the team and each other. In terms of keeping people motivated, are there, what are the kind of things that you're doing to keep people on track, part of the team, and field partner of the, of, of the Smartling story as it evolves?
1: Yeah. So in, in those meet, meetings that I, I mentioned, um, you know, certain certain things that we do, like, for example, um, around recognition that, um, you know, ensures that we're celebrating the right things um, across, across the team. And there's a few different dimensions to those um you know we we have rethought the way we do social events for example we you know sometimes do a virtual wine event um you know uh, whatever event we think we can do virtually you know we probably tried it at this point and we try to do those on a on a regular cadence both at a regional level and also at a global level um and yeah, you know, and then there's just a kind of a regular drumbeat of, of email communication as well, trying to keep everybody updated on what's going on um, and, and where we can link it back to the values.
0: Uh, I, I'm smiling, Brian, because when you mentioned the virtual br- uh, wine event, what popped into my mind was something I saw on TikTok recently was this guy. He was getting ready for a virtual meeting <laughs> and he, ha- he had his mug and he cut off the little tag that you get on tea bags with a string attached to it. He cut it off at the teabag. And then he stuck it on the inside of the cup so there was this tag hanging over the side and it looked to all intents and purposes like there's a teabag in it you'd make that assumption. And then he gets a can of beer and he fills up this mug with the beer. But everybody thinks he's drinking tea. I just thought that was a um, an interesting comment on, on maybe Friday it's meetings. It's top, but, uh, top listen, in terms of then scaling a business and the challenges you face, I noticed that you're structured, what you said at the beginning, the sales organization is structured along kind of traditional predictable revenue model of SDR, BDR, AE, and so on. And so beyond that, then, where do you see some of the challenges of scaling a fast hyper growth business like Smartling? And then how have you adapted to those challenges?
1: Yeah, Um, I think, you know, I think the first challenge that I'll mention is probably around uh, sales development in that um, it is becoming uh, a very noisy um, outbound channel for executives you know if you're a head of marketing or head of product or head of engineering um there are a lot of people now that are trying to reach you through whatever channel they can whether it be email social uh, sometimes phone um and and that that poses you know very significant challenges for the the bdr the SDR who are you know trying to do some of that that outreach one of the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about at Smartling is how do we differentiate, right? How do we differentiate our go to market so we actually get the person's attention? Mm. Um, and it's, you know, with tools like Outreach and Sales Loft that really help with uh, scaling your outreach efforts, The those channels become increasingly uh, hectic for mm. those executives. And so that's the first thing I'll mention. Um, The second piece is, you know, one thing that we we have um, uh, we emphasize a lot at Smartling is finding the balance between art and science in sales. Um, You know, we we believe in creativity. We believe you know that there should be freedom um, to to sell in, in a certain way. But we also believe that there's lots of uh, frameworks and methodologies and things out there that can um, that can accelerate uh, our our skills or can can elevate our skills so you know finding the balance between both of those I think is a is an ongoing mm. challenge as well.
0: yeah I wonder actually because you mentioned outreach and and sales Loft and nothing to do with those two companies that just happen to be major players in 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 sales tech and they're wonderful tools for creating cadences and reporting and so on I I often wonder though like you mentioned the fact that because of their success now those channels are noisier and therefore it's harder to get people's attention I also wonder do they dumb down the skill sets of people I, I, I was thinking of this recently photography is a Cameras more is a, are a fetish of mine. I, I, I just I, I don't know why I, just, just, I I have an interest in it. Some people have watches. Cameras are my thing, and um, I wondered because to me the that market in in camera tech has kind of paralleled sales tech in that you look at the sensors and the the technology that goes into focusing systems and metering systems etc. Versus a old school film camera with no meter, and if you think about what makes the photographer successful, it's got nothing to do with the technology. It's to do with their understanding of light, of composition, relationship with their subject. and And I wonder then, if we if we take that analogy back to sales tech, does some of it actually be in the way of salespeople making real connections with prospects?
1: Yeah, sometimes. sometimes it does. Um, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility and these tools are very powerful. Uh, you can email, you can contact a lot of people in a very short amount of time with these tools. Um, using those tools in that way um, uh, harm the ecosystem from everybody involved um, and it doesn't take a whole lot of skill. So you know, it's it's an interesting conundrum for outreach and for sales because more widely used, their tools are the less valuable the ecosystem is that exists in. Um, so, you know, the answer to your question is, unfortunately, sometimes yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think in really good sales organisations, um, we'll will focus on, yeah. you know, like I said, how can we be different? How can mm. we buy, skill this? How can we stand out so that executives take notes and mm. you know we can actually help them with some of the problems that we're trying to solve.
0: Yeah. And so as you look forward the next six months, or so, we know that, that those channels are going to get less noise. And yeah. therefore, have to, as you said, follow ways of getting the attention of your prospects, what are the kind of things that you're looking at that you feel are maybe just that little bit different and that make or you're already doing and you can say do work?
1: Yeah, Well, you know, uh, these things are cyclical. you know, um, email, uh, be in vogue and um, for a period of time then we might switch to direct mail we might switch to display advertising or paid search social you know we might focus on organic so there's a lot of different ways to reach folks from an inbound and outbound active and like you know the really good revenue operate aware of these goals mm-hmm. and they say sort of the arbitrage exists mm-hmm. um I we certainly will like to see a much more emphasis on mark orientated activities where we Draw the buyer in to tell that they're interested, as opposed to um, that more kind of traditional outbound approach. Where, you know, you're you're pulling.
0: So, Brian, I'm curious about the your experiences of the sales culture in North America versus the sales culture in in Europe. Well, particularly say Ireland, UK uh, sales culture. What are the key differences?
1: Um. So. I think there's probably more similarities than there, there are differences um, more than we give credit for at least, uh, you know, certainly in Europe, there are a lot of um, a lot of very obvious differences in that, you know, in Europe, you're selling to uh, different countries, different languages, different currencies sometimes. Um, and you know, the, the cultural uh, differences as well can be more vast across Europe than they would be same than in, in in the U.S. And now there are cultural differences depending on where you're selling in the U.S. as well. But you know, I think there there uh, there's a higher degree of variance. I think in 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 Europe. Um, you know, I, I think sales as a career um, is probably more common in the in the U.S. Um, you know, it's probably existed a little bit longer as a career in the US, and maybe mm. it's a little bit more sophisticated uh, in the US. But you know, we're certainly catching up in in Europe, mm. um, and you know, tech sales in in particular is becoming a very uh, popular job, particularly with a lot of the tech companies that are head have their media headquarters in Dublin.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I I think that's an interesting connection between them. That I think the what's helped ours evolve a lot are those American SaaS based companies who set up in Ireland particularly where you've now got thousands and thousands of reps who've come through those organisations and have learned so I think the last few years have brought them a lot closer together Uh, interesting Brian I'm sorry to say we are up on time I could talk to you all day this is really fascinating Uh, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today and, and taking time to talk to us I really appreciate it Brian O'Reilly, thanks for being my guest.
1: Paul, thanks very much for having me. Cheers.